we have spoken on Sunday evenings for a while about Christmas miracles and um, what seems impossible to man uh, and from our perspective is not impossible with God, not even not even difficult with God. I mentioned to you last Sunday evening about William Lane Craig, who said that when he was a teenager and some were sharing the gospel with him, that the idea of the virgin birth was something that he said he couldn't wrap his head around, and he said he knew it would require God to have created something in Mary's womb out of nothing. And then he said later on, after he became a Christian, he, incidentally, his story, his testimony, he became a Christian uh, without believing in the virgin birth. Uh, not saying he rejected the virgin birth, but he just, he said he set that aside for a while and placed his trust in Christ. And later on, he said he came to realize that a God who can create the universe out of nothing to create something in, in Mary's womb uh, would be child's play. It would be easy. So much of uh, the details about the Christmas story uh, uh, are full of miraculous details. We mentioned the virgin birth. We think about the alignment of so many details culturally, uh, politically, uh, all that was taking place during the time of the birth of Christ reminds me very much of the verse uh, from the book of Galatians, uh, where Paul speaks about the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, there was a point in history that was the exact right moment for God in Christ to come into this world and to show us uh, a, a clear demonstration of the Father and of his love for us. Another one of those Christmas miracles uh, that is important, especially to us, because we are Gentiles, we are non-Jews. What, what would that be? What is a Christmas miracle important to Gentiles? Anybody want to take a guess? It would be the Bethlehem star. The Bethlehem star. Uh, for a passage of scripture, I would draw your attention to Matthew chapter 2. Incidentally, I'll say a little bit more about this in just a moment, but Matthew is the only gospel writer uh, who records the account of the wise men following the star. And uh, I believe there's reason for that. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. Now, after Jesus was born... In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. On our piano in our living room, we have our nativity scene. It's uh, one of my favorite uh, decorations that we have. They're fairly large figurines about, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 inches high, uh, the, the, the figures of the people are, and uh, everything else that, that goes along with it is scaled to match. And Rachel and I bought it, I don't know, we hadn't been married too long. And uh, as you will typically see, uh, uh, in the nativity scenes, you have the shepherds and, and the wise men uh, in one picture at one time. And uh, hopefully this doesn't trouble you too much, but the wise men and the shepherds were not at the manger together. Uh, that happened at two different times. Uh, the shepherds came at the birth of Christ and the wise men came sometime later. Perhaps Jesus could have been maybe close to two years old at the time something of that nature. But um, at any rate, it's something that we kind of mesh together with the rest of the Christmas story and celebrate. And uh, we can probably assume that uh, when the wise men say in, uh, let's see, verse 2 of Matthew chapter 2, they're speaking with Herod and they say, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Probably uh, they observed that at the birth of Christ. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the star and what perhaps the star was, but first I want to take a few moments to mention the wise men. Who were the wise men? Well, the wise men or the magi, they were a special class of priests from the Persian Empire. Uh, They were men who would have been highly educated. Uh, They would have been well-versed in various uh, fields of knowledge, uh, such as philosophy and religion and astronomy, and what some in our day would term astrology. Uh, They studied the various phases of of the stars and of the night sky. Their history traces back at least as far as Daniel uh, that we read of in the Old Testament. And uh, Daniel, if you remember uh, Daniel reading from the book of Daniel and the story about Daniel, Daniel uh, during his day had become the head of the wise men. He was the chief wise man uh, during his time frame. It is very likely that through Daniel, a tradition that included uh, Jewish history and Jewish prophecy became a part of the knowledge and the wisdom of the Persian wise men. And from that beginning was passed down uh, through the rest of the, the history, the tradition of the wise men. For example... 
uh, we read the prophecy, the oracle of Balaam in Numbers chapter 24. And this is very significant when we think about uh, the wise men and uh, how they followed the star. Numbers 24, verse uh, 16 and 17. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So, from those types of prophecies uh, that Daniel would have known about, and perhaps the knowledge he would have imparted to uh, the other wise men, uh, they began uh, uh, to have an understanding uh, that a future ruler was promised to come from the nation of Israel, and specifically from the tribe of Judah. So these were the wise men. There were probably very likely more than three. Our, our traditions uh, state there were three wise men. We, uh, some traditions give them names. I don't remember all the names. Maybe some of you do. Uh, I remember Balthazar. Um, can't remember the other two. Um, but uh, most likely there were more than three. I think we say three because uh, we have that song that says, We Three Kings, and they brought three gifts. Uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Most likely there was a very large entourage, uh, and uh, uh, when you read the scripture, it indicates that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar uh, when the, the wise men came. Uh, they would have had quite a, uh, uh, quite a parade with them of uh, perhaps attendants and camels and all of their animals and all that went along with it. And uh, it, it must have been something quite uh, impressive to see. And when they came, they, you know, thinking logically, uh, they assume that the local ruler uh, is going to know about such things. In fact, some of the sources that I have read after in studying about the wise men uh, think that perhaps they were men who were involved in political matters of their day and would have been what was called king makers. In other words, they would have been men who perhaps worked behind the scenes to, uh, to uh, uh, manipulate details of, of uh, affairs of state and things of that nature to see that certain men rose to power and certain men fell from power. Um, some speculate that that's a possibility. These men come to Herod and they say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. So what was the star of Bethlehem? Can we know anything about it? Well, there's a lot of speculation. One thing that we know is that there is an abundance of cultural records because many civilizations have studied the stars and the night sky for hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, the Chinese uh, studied uh, the stars for a, for a lot of years and kept records. Uh, the, the Persians obviously did. Uh, others uh, studied the stars. So we can look back and science today can compare ancient historical records and, 
and uh, find, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, astrological phenomena that have been recorded throughout various times in history. Some think that perhaps that it was a comet that uh, was uh, uh, that explains the star of Bethlehem. That uh, it explains the movement because the the wise men said they saw the star. They saw when it rose, and and uh, later on uh, they saw it move, and it guided them seemingly to where the child was. For a number of reasons, there are many scientists who don't think that that is a good explanation uh, for the star of Bethlehem. Some have uh, uh, supposed that perhaps it was a supernova. A supernova is uh, basically an exploding star. Um, However, that's probably not a good explanation because here uh, on planet Earth, we cannot observe supernovas very clearly, very well, uh, uh, because of all of the, uh, the dust and everything that's a part of the Milky Way, a part of our own galaxy, so we're not able to observe supernovas from very far away. What seems to be, if you're looking for a natural explanation of the star of Bethlehem, what seems to be the most likely explanation is a planetary alignment. You may or may not know that Jupiter is considered or used to be considered a royal star. Uh, We know it as a planet, but uh, in ancient times it was understood to be a star and it was uh, associated with royalty. In the year 3 BC, Jupiter came into conjunction with Regulus, the the star uh, that is associated or was associated with kingship. Now, pay attention because uh, you may make some associations here uh, as I go through this little explanation. Uh, Again, Regulus, uh, the star of kingship, is the brightest star of the constellation Leo. Uh, which is uh, the the constellation shaped like a lion. Um, During the year 3 BC, the first of several conjunctions between Jupiter and Regulus took place, and there were several uh, that took place during that year. They lined up several different times. Leo, as I mentioned, the constellation of kings, also closely associated by some with the Lion of Judah of the tribe of uh, one of the tribes of Israel. So what you have here is a royal planet approaching a royal star in a royal constellation uh, that some believed represented the nation of Israel. Then in addition to all of these details, on September the 11th in the year 3 BC, Jupiter was not only very close to Regulus, but the sun was in the constellation uh, Virgo. So there you have a royal planet in conjunction with a royal star while the sun is in a virgin. Sound interesting? Yeah, sounds interesting. Intriguing. But say, Pastor, can you prove any of this? No, can't prove any of it. It's all just speculation. But admittedly, at least to me in my mind, very interesting speculation. When you think of all of the associations of these stars and planets and and the position, 
Not only that, but September 11th, 3 B.C., September the 11th is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So a lot, an awful lot seems to be coming together in, in that particular example. But what about the star apparently moving and appearing to stop over Bethlehem? Well, planets do at times appear to move. Uh, there are times when they will reach the opposite point in the sky from the sun. As they travel east across the sky, they will stop and reverse direction for a few weeks, stop again, and then go east once more. And it is what astronomers refer to as a retrograde loop. And Jupiter performed just such a loop, a retrograde loop, in the year 2 B.C. and was stationary on December 25th during Hanukkah, the season of giving gifts. Now again, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, hopefully this doesn't disturb any of you too badly, but uh, most likely Jesus was not born on December 25th. He was born sometime in the spring of the year, most likely. And all of these explanations, many of them could be likely, uh, uh, possibly uh, natural explanations for the star of Bethlehem. And some would say, well, pastor, that, that takes away a little bit of the significance, a little bit of the meaning behind the star of Bethlehem if it, if it can be accounted for by a natural explanation. Personally, I don't think so. If it is a natural explanation, how amazing is it that right at the exact moment that all of these things aligned, all of the planets and the stars came together, that just at that particular moment, God was sending His Son into this world. I think it's very possible that God worked uh, to use a natural explanation, a natural means, in order to point the way. However, it is very likely that that may not be the explanation. What about the possibility of a supernatural explanation? Well, that could be just as likely. I'm quoting from a man named Ray Bolin, who said this, Remember that Jesus' birth was the ultimate coming of the presence of God in the midst of His people. How was God's presence manifested elsewhere in the Bible? Moses saw a burning bush that was not consumed, and God spoke to him from the bush. Again, in Exodus, Moses was allowed to see God's backside and afterwards his face shone with light so bright that the other Israelites were not able to look upon his face. The Israelites were led through the desert by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. When Jesus was transfigured, he shone with a light as bright as the sun. And then when Jesus appeared to Saul on the Damascus road, Saul was blinded by the light, which the others with him saw as well. Anywhere we read in Scripture, when God was imminently present, a bright light was associated with his presence. 
It is what some have referred to as the Shekinah glory that denotes the visible presence of God. The presence of God was real and the physical manifestation was real as well. In other words, these were occasions that were not explained by natural phenomenon. They were supernatural. The presence of God was there and it was demonstrated and clearly visibly seen with a bright and shining light. That could be just as likely an explanation as any for the star that the wise men saw and followed. I don't know which it was, but I can give you a few thoughts about the significance and what it means. I mentioned to you at the beginning that this is of special significance for the Gentiles. When we think about the people that first learned of the coming of Jesus, it was not those that were in high society or in high positions of government or, or uh, political or religious leadership. No, it was people like the shepherds that were out keeping watch over their flocks by night. It was also Gentile wise men. Wise men, yes, but non-Jewish wise men, Gentiles. And to me, it's one of, the th one of the truths, one of the beautiful truths about Christmas that simply says that Jesus came for everyone, not just for a select group of people, not just for a, a, a special number, but Jesus came for everyone. So, so when we think about this, I, the, the verse uh, from Matthew 2 that jumps out to me is the verse that says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I don't know how many of you have seen people uh, pray through at an altar of prayer, seen someone really get saved, really get converted, but you know the change that comes about in their life and the rejoicing that takes place in their own heart. I remember myself when I experienced real forgiveness of sin and the realization that I'd been set free from sin. Oh, what joy there is to see the light and to follow the light. Oh, friends, we ought to rejoice with the wise men. If you have seen the light, if you've seen the Bethlehem star and followed that star to kneel at the manger, to kneel at the foot of Jesus and worship him and say, you will be my Lord we ought to rejoice with the wise men. We ought to keep following the star. Keep following the star. The wise men, I don't know. They, it says, uh, the scripture says uh, that they were warned in a dream. They departed to their own country by another way. They didn't go back uh, to speak to Herod. And uh, we don't ever read anything more about the wise men. Make, kind of makes you wonder what happened. I, I, uh, I wish in a number of Bible stories that we had a, we had a sequel, we had a follow-up. Say, what, what happened to these people? I think about the man uh, who was possessed with the legion of demons that Jesus cast the demons out of, and the people from the local town came out and saw him dressed and in his right mind and sitting at, uh, at Jesus' feet, and and he so wanted to go with Jesus. 
He wanted to follow Jesus. But Jesus said, no, you go back to your own home and tell them what great things God has done for you. And that's the last we hear about his story. I really would like to know a little bit more about the rest of his life. I'd like to know what happened to the wise men. But I have to believe that there was something about that encounter with Jesus Christ. Though he was just a baby laying in a manger. You think about the gifts that they gave him. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. They gave him gifts that were fit for royalty. Gifts especially that represented their own status and their own wealth, but also gifts that acknowledged something special about Jesus himself. Ordinarily, you wouldn't give embalming fluid as a baby shower gift. But the wise men did. They brought... Myrrh, it was, it was considered the gift to one who is destined to die. And all, the, all the significance of that, I have to believe that they left forever changed by that encounter. And friends, you and I, if ever we kneel at the feet of Jesus, if ever we make him Lord of our lives, it ought to change the course of the rest of our lives and totally redirect us until we're following that star, we're following the light for the rest of our lives. Finally, we ought to be pointing others to the light, pointing others to the light I may have mentioned this to you before, but a friend that I was in college with, he had a joke, a trick that he would play on people occasionally, and sometimes he would get a few of us, his friends, bystanders in on the trick, and, and he would stop, we'd walk across a parking lot or walk across a, a, an open area and maybe people standing around, and he would pause and and look up at the sky, and then after a moment, point, and then track something, nothing there, really, but just to see how many people he could get to stopping and looking. How frustrating is it to have someone apparently be able to see something, but you can't see? Can you, you know, you see... I know trying to point things out to, to uh, my children, if we're in places, there's a place in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee called Rock City. In fact, if you ever travel through the, some of the southern, probably the other side of the Mississippi, in random states you will drive through, you'll see big billboard signs that say, See Rock City. And I suppose it's pretty interesting if you are ever in that area. It's worth the trip. Um, but there's a place in Rock City that is an overlook. And on a clear day, you can see seven states from Rock City. And uh, there's binoculars there that you can drop a quarter in. And, 
and it'll show you the directions. And if you look in one direction, you're looking in, uh, of course, it's located in Tennessee, and that's where you're standing. And you can look one direction and see uh, Georgia and another direction and see Alabama and, and uh, probably Mississippi, uh, maybe North Carolina. Uh, I don't know. That doesn't sound right. Anyway, the, 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 uh, uh, the point is you can see a lot from, from just one place. But it has to be a clear day, and you have to be looking in just the right place. As people who have seen the light of Jesus, we ought to be also people who can point others to the light. And I've been praying that God would help me. I, I want to be ever looking to the light myself, rejoicing in the light. Now, sometimes the light is, is disturbing. I remember waking up, being awakened up, wakened. Is that right? I remember getting awakened in early, early days, uh, getting ready for school, still dark outside, and um, having the light turned on and covering my eyes and saying, oh, it's, just, it's too bright too bright if you want to if you know somebody that's hard to wake up and cranky in the morning don't ever shine a flashlight in their eyes don't ever walk in unannounced and just flip the light on oh that's that's hard on the eyes one of the things that's uncomfortable about the light is it sometimes causes you to see things that you don't really want to see but things that we need to see. Friends, let's pray this Christmas season and always that God will be at work in our hearts, in our lives, to help us to continue following the light and also pointing others to the light. Let's take our